0: It was just a few weeks ago when we woke up to this news. Monday,
2: March 2nd. Good morning, I'm Wayne Kemp.
1: And I'm Paul Bourdain, WCBS News Time, 731.
2: Yes, we do have our first coronavirus case in New York City.
0: The governor's been saying all along it was a matter of not if, but when, and now it's happened, the first case. And News of the second one came a day later. We do have breaking news in the past few minutes. Word from Governor Cuomo that there is a second confirmed coronavirus case in New York State. This patient is a man in his 50s from Westchester who had no known connections to hotspots of coronavirus. Those stories seem like a century ago. In the three weeks since, the story has moved with warp speed, and who knows when this ride will slow down. This is a special edition of WCBS 880 In Depth. I'm Tim Scheldt from the WCBS News Radio 880 News Staff. That second coronavirus case came from within the community of New Rochelle in Westchester. That's a community just north of New York City. Westchester has now more than 800 positive cases. Many of them, if not most, connected to that first patient from New Rochelle.
1: You know, when you look back on this, New Rochelle will, won't be the highest area of contagion. It'll be the first area of contagion.
0: That's George Latimer, the county executive of Westchester. And since late February he's gotten the fast-track medical lesson on COVID-19 and ways to stop the spread. He took time to talk to us about how this all began for Westchester just three weeks ago. Do you remember when you got the first call about this?
1: Well, um, I think we knew officially that the index patient, the gentleman from New Rochelle, uh, was impacted, and it was right around the 2nd or the 3rd of March. We had heard something a day or two before that, That stretched back to the prior week. It was the prior week that he was hospitalized at Lawrence Hospital in Bronxville and then was sent to, uh, I guess, Columbia Pres in the city uh, before the end of that last week of February before it became March, first or second. But uh, the first was uh, Sunday, and I recall that Sunday or Monday being the first time I heard it. Now, that's 17 days ago, and in 17 days, we now have 800 cases, New York City had one case that week. Remember, a woman who's traveling in Iran had come back from Iran. She was the first case in New York City. And you now have 2,000 cases in New York, something like that, city, uh, something like that. So this, uh, the numbers have exploded in a very short period of time. And as fast as we've had to move so far in these two weeks, two and a half weeks, I can't even imagine how these things are going to move faster in the next two and a half weeks.
0: It's interesting. We spent so much time talking about a cluster in New Rochelle, but the reality yeah. is that there are clusters everywhere, no?
1: That's exactly right. And I think, you know, unfortunately for New Rochelle, New Rochelle took a hit. You saw some of the tabloid newspapers kind of, you know, make fun of the name and and highlight it as if the the, uh, the contagion was really generating out of that area. What you saw was an individual... And, and the people that he came in contact with. And by just normal living your life, you started to infect a wide number of people in your personal circle. Well, that got tested right away because we were shutting down the synagogue and the uh, uh, the Jewish day schools that were tied to this particular religious group. And then all of a sudden, New Rochelle spiked because we tested. Now that we're testing more broadly and more quickly, not quickly enough, but more broadly and quickly, we're winding with a number of communities now in double digits. And and the news is it's rising everywhere. I think, you know, when you look back on this, Neurochel won't be the highest area of contagion. It'll be the first area of contagion. And and we're going to find other cities, I don't want to name imaginarily, but uh, other cities of similar size and scope around the metropolitan area are going to be just as vulnerable with this disease.
0: I heard the governor today take a question about the use of the term containment zone, and he said, well, it really was an attempt to contain the virus, not to contain people within there. How has that worked? And do you think that messaging uh, got a little tripped up in the early days?
1: Well, I think there was a question of how you interpreted what he was doing. We were pretty clear uh, as to what was going to happen or not happen in, in the zone, so to speak. And in fact, I made it a point uh, to have dinner in the zone twice during this period of time just to show that there wasn't anything that uh, made this, the geography, the problem. The the the, the nature of the zone uh, or this corridor, I've used other words rather than zone, came basically out of this reality. The, the index patient was active in an Orthodox community, and he was at religious events on the weekend that he infected a large number of people. Because of the tenets of the faith, people do not use machinery to get to, to shul. They can't use a car to get to shul on the Sabbath, so they walk, which means they generally live in relatively close proximity to the congregation, the synagogue congregation. So you could draw a circle around the synagogue and say, well, most of their congregants live here. Many of their congregants were exposed to the disease. So it, it drew the correlation of geography to contagion when, in fact, it was just geography that put them in contact with the index patient. So once once the rules came in, they shut down schools in the area, they shut down religious institutions and events in that area. All that's a precursor for what's happened now. All the schools are closed, not just in Westchester, but all across uh, the State and now, all across the country, they shut down uh, uh, religious events because they were concerned that people would be infected. Well, now you have the Catholic Church shutting down all masses in the Archdiocese, not just in this one area. so I think it it sort of you know reinforces the point I made is that what happened in neuschelle wasn 't particularly worse than any place else; it was just first, and the zone attempt to reduce contagion uh, probably helped because had those things not happened, people would have been interacting in that zone and I think it would have spiked even further. This is the actual explanation of what flattening out the curve means. It doesn't mean you can reverse it. Uh, you know, social distancing doesn't represent a cure to the disease. Only an antiviral will cure the disease. But from a practical standpoint, it reduced the degree of spread. And I think to that extent, it, it served the purpose that it was meant for.
0: New Rochelle will always be part of the um, the discussion because you know, it's amazing that the index patient had tentacles to even you know uh, people who worked in his office and then live in Englewood New Jersey and then went to right. went to the conference down in uh, in the DC area it really will be part of our study one day when we get a chance to take a breath and look back on it no
1: I think you're right. But I also think what this does show is a case that's been made many times by a lot of people. It's made by social scientists who write about it from a, uh, an academic perspective. We politicians will get out there and say, we're all you know, intertwined in this world. But then you look at one life and how many people he touched, and not, you know, in a benign or a malign way, it's just who he interacted with. He sat on a Metro North train. He, uh, you know, he was in the city working with other people in a firm. He no doubt had other interactions with numerous people, people too numerous to mention. And, and one life can impact all those other lives around him. And now you multiply that out Uh, by all the people that might be testing positive, that's why you have a pandemic. And and it's interesting to just look at it, play out in real time. When you go from day one, you have 200 some odd cases. Day two, you have 300 some odd cases. Then you're at 500. Then you're at 800. And and then it really comes home to you that that's what happens because we are, as a people, social. We interact with other people. This is not, you know, uh, 1790 America. I have a farm you have a farm five miles away from my farm and maybe we're in town one day a week to sell our crops uh you know but we basically only deal with our immediate family and we're self-sufficient and we eat the produce we make that's a different america this america we are interconnected in a thousand different ways uh just just to go to get a piece of pizza, you get stand online to get a piece of pizza, you're bumping into people you have no idea who they are, and uh, that's the world we live in now
0: which which really underlines the reason for the social density strategy and the social distancing strategy. Take one person who has it out of the equation, and you really tend to impact in a positive way a lot of people
1: and then of course, because we live here in the New York metropolitan area uh you know if if we decided that we weren't comfortable with the density of New York City or the, or the suburbs around New York City and this lifestyle, that we would say, I can't handle this. I'm going to move. We have friends who've done that. People say, I want to go to Florida. I want to be in a different environment. I want to move further upstate. I want to be in a more rural environment. But, you know, uh, I'll just speak for myself. I, I love the environment of interaction. I love the multi-ethnicity of this area. I grew up here. I've lived here almost all of my life. Um, you know, I like different types of restaurants. I love knowing that we have cultural festivals for other cultures that aren't tied to my personal heritage. I, I, I like it. I like living here for that reason, but I also recognize that by personality and by preference, this makes us interactive in ways that can spread a disease. And so all of a sudden you tell people, you got to stop what you're doing. You can't, you can't go to that diner or that bar. You can't go to the health club. You can't uh, go to that religious service. This is a major change in our independent lifestyle. And we're all rubbing up against it. I know I am. I'm sure you are. I'm sure the people you send out on assignment are, you know, how do I do my job if I don't interact with people? And yet, Interacting with people is exactly what we can't do to the same degree because we're going to spread the disease
0: You sound like you've gotten quite a uh, medical education are you um, you know <laughs> you're really deep in the weeds on it,
1: huh? You know, it's interesting because, you know, I view myself very much as an average American. I grew up in a working class family. My dad was a maintenance man. My mom was a factory worker. I have a college education, graduate school. I was good at sales and marketing in my in my chosen profession. And now in public office, you know, I've, I've evidenced some skills enough to, to be where I'm at. Uh, you know, I'm not a national politician. I'm not a U.S. senator running for president. But you realize that you have to take average people and you have to stretch us. You have to make us more thoughtful, more uh, more skilled in order to do the decisions that we have to make. And I don't intrinsically know a lot about medicine or science. You pick up a lot more because at the end of the day, I've got to make a series of decisions. And I have to know enough to be able to, you know, uh, weed out bad ideas from good ideas. But I also have to be strong enough to know that I've got a team of people around me, Tim, that know more than I do about very specific things. I can't be intimidated by that. I can't let it bamboozle me. And somewhere in that mix of talented people around you, we get to the right decision. And and I don't want to go like super extreme with this. But to me, that's what leadership in America is, because you, we are not a totalitarian country. We do not elect Vladimir Putin and he serves for life. Uh, or, uh, you know, religious leader who rules over us as an Ayatollah might in Iran. We pride ourselves on being independent people within democracy. Well, democracy is you get to a position of authority. You've won the support of people. They voted for you. Now perform and figure out how to do it in real time. Use whatever resources you have around you. Stay a little humble. But you've got to be assertive enough to make decisions, and that's an interesting balance. And, and I think, and I'll close with this comment, because uh, I've used it before. I don't want to make it sound like I just thought of it at this moment. But I said, I, I talked to my, my sister in D.C., who's a couple of years younger than I am. We're both in our 60s. Um, you know, we talk a lot about you know, what, our parents, the, the, what our parents lived through. They were blue collar people, they went through the Depression, World War II and they were tested. They went through things that they would tell us about when I was a kid, and I didn't pay much attention to it. I want to go out and play ball with my friends. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. You know, you had a tough during the I got it. Boom. And you had a tough during the war. Mom, stateside, dad, overseas. And um, now I realize this is our generation's test. And the real question is, am I my father's son? Is my sister my mother's daughter? Are we strong enough people to face our test the same way they faced their test. It came late in life, for me at least, given my age. I'm not that old, but I mean, I'm, I'm post-65. And, and and that's the question. Does this generation of Americans who've had a pretty good for 75 years, since the end of World War II, can we ramp up and show that we're just like the other generations of Americans that survived crises? I think we are. I think we're resilient, but we've got to prove it.
0: I would agree, and I appreciate you taking all this time, and I'm happy to have you where you are. And I wish you the best of luck and thank you for what you do, George.
1: Thanks, Tim. And thank you for what you do. I can't tell you how many times I drive around, listen to the product on, on 880 and, uh, and appreciate the fact that it can connect me to uh, information that I wouldn't have any other way. And I appreciate that.
0: Interesting perspective from someone in the heart of this crisis near its New York epicenter. One last word about this. Some of us have been around for a while and have had the same thought as Governor Cuomo today. For me in New York, it reminds me of 9-11, where one moment, which was inconceivable, just changed everything. Yes, it has. More in-depth podcasts will be coming your way. We're also part of a team helping to contribute work to a national coronavirus podcast. It's from Radio.com, and it's called The Coronavirus Daily. Look for it wherever you get your podcasts. It's worth it. We'll also continue to do our weekday news updates in the morning in our WCBS 880 Morning News Roundup podcast. Look for that and subscribe. Good luck. Stay healthy.